Jesus said what? And so, you know, we, we read these saints, and sometimes we get used to them, don't we? We, we hear something, and then we got thinking about it, and we go, what did he just say? How am I supposed to interpret that? I knew exactly the topic I wanted to talk about because it's such a blessing to me in these times that we live in today. John chapter number 14, the principle that we're looking at today is I must live in light of the return of Jesus. Many of us have heard about that, the second coming of Jesus Christ. Um, It's a fact. Jesus Christ will be physically returning to the earth. He said, what? (laughs) He'll be physically returning to the earth. So uh, as we look in our Bibles, we're just going to look at several different passages. But I I want to start off in John chapter 14, verses 1 through 3. I'll give you the setting in just a moment. But the Bible says, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Jesus is speaking here. He says, believe also in me. In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Oh, I believe it's one of my deepest convictions that Jesus Christ is coming back. He will come back to this earth. And it's my deepest conviction, not because of what I see and and, and read the newspapers and see in society, but it's because of the clear and truthful statements that we have in the Bible. When Bruce was reading earlier, he said that the Bible is the word of God. And indeed it is. It's the complete word of God. And there's probably no clearer statement in Scripture than what we just read. Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. From the times of the apostles up until now, Christians have an earnest expectation of what we call the second coming of Jesus Christ. Why? Because it starts right here. Jesus said, I will come again. Now, this isn't going to be a theological treatise here. This isn't going to be a, a lesson in it. But basically, the second coming of Jesus Christ will be in two stages. There'll be the, what we know as the rapture, when Jesus Christ will come in the air and he'll catch up his church. He'll catch up his people and he'll meet them in the clouds and he will go away. And this is what's suggested in this passage here. And then the second stage will be the glorious return to Jesus Christ when he'll come and set up his kingdom. We read about that in the Old Testament. We read about that in the book of Matthew chapter 24. All through the scriptures, he's talking about his second coming when he sets up the kingdom. Let me just tell you something. It's a coming in judgment. It's a coming to set up the kingdom and to judge the people on this earth. So let's see the context here is just the day before Jesus would go to the cross and would die for our sins. He was meeting with his disciples to celebrate the Passover. He taught them many things before he makes this statement. He taught them what it means to be a servant. And he did that by taking a a, a basin, taking a towel, and he washed their feet. He announced that he was going to be betrayed, and he handed it over to Judas, and he left to betray him. He celebrated the Passover and then he introduced a new supper, 
a supper that we'll be celebrating next Sunday, by the way. And we call it the Lord's Supper or communion. And he said that this bread represents his body, his body that would be given to them. The cup represents the blood that would be shed. And these, these disciples were listening to all this as he was describing the time that he would be crucified. And the crucifixion would be on their behalf. It would be in substitution of them. He would be dying for their sins. And then at that point, he also announces that Peter would be rejecting him, would be denying him. Peter says, no, in fact, I would die for you. He says, no, you're actually going to deny me three times before sunrise. And then we get to verse number one. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. He was responding to a troubled a troubled church, if you will. And the, these people there were, were expecting him to bring in the kingdom right then and there. After all, he walked on water. After all, he fed thousands of people. He raised people from the dead. But then he began to announce his purpose. His purpose was to come to die for our sins. But that wasn't the end. On the third day, he rose from the dead. And then he said, I'm going to come back again. So when he says, let not your heart be troubled, he didn't just leave it there. He gave him some incredible promises. It is my observation that there are a lot of troubled people today on this planet. And unfortunately, there's a lot of troubled people who claim to know Jesus as their savior. They're very, very concerned about the times that, that we live in as we ought to be. But they are also very concerned because they live in fear. Whereas our Lord says, let not your heart be troubled. He says, what you're going to be seeing here is going to cause a lot of trouble in your hearts and your minds. The things that you're going to be observing, the things that you're going to actually go through. In fact, as, as history tells us, every one of those disciples were martyred or went into exile because of this statement that he's making here, I will come again. Every one of them were to die. And over the century, thousands and thousands of believers have given their life for that truth of Jesus Christ as their Savior. There's a lot that would allow our hearts to be troubled, but our Lord says, let not your heart be troubled. So what he is about to say is designed to alleviate the anxiety of the ages, the anxiety of the future that we live in. And he does this by focusing on, our attention on him. Look at the verse again. He says, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. What you believe will dictate what you think. And what you think will dictate how you act. And so he says here, he says, um, I want you to refocus your attention, not on the things that are happening around, but put your eyes upon me. Because here's what I'm going to be doing. I'm going to be preparing a place for you. Because in my father's house are many mansions. You know, I want you to understand something. As you interpret the Bible, he is saying here there's an actual place that he's preparing for us. He will be returning to collect us. He says here, he says um, that I'm going to receive you to myself. And he says he would take us to dwell with him physically in his father's place or his father's house. 
But he says in the meantime, later on, he spends the next three chapters, chapters 14, 15, 16, and he ends in chapter 17. Now, that's more than three, isn't it? And, and, he, and he works this out, and what he says here, I'm going to give you reason not to have your heart to be troubled because I'm coming back again. And so he promises to send the comforter or the helper, the parakletos, the one who would come beside us, the one who would, who would abide with you, he says in verse number six, the one that would lead you into all truth, the one that would give you the power to be the witness that you're going to need to be on this planet. And then Jesus prepares them in the relationships that they're going to have with one another as he does this. And he says, as you're focusing your attention upon yourself and what you do, he says you do it in love. And he says that love is going to be the actual determination that shows the world that you're my disciples. And then he teaches them how to pray. And he says that this comfort that I'm sending you will not only, um, not only lead you into truth, but he'll also guide you into your prayer life so that you will know how to pray in my name. You're different people now. Let not your heart be troubled. I will come again. And then he finally um, talks about how the, uh, the Holy Spirit will give him the power to be the witness. But then he concludes with praying for them in that wonderful high priestly prayer in John chapter number 17 when he prays for his disciples there. Then he prays for those that the disciples are witness to. And if you keep reading, he says that he prays for you and he prays for me. He prays for the unity. He prays for the power. Why? Because there's a lot out there that's going to cause our hearts to be troubled. But he leads with saying, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. He goes, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. I want you to understand something here, is that all the teaching that Jesus is teaching them now, all the promises that he gives is based upon that truth. I will come again. And as you place your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior, you're not taking on a religion that teaches you a philosophy. You're, you're having the indwelling Christ that changes you in everything that you do. And so, you know, years later, John was exiled to the island of Patmos. And many of you know about this, and he, he, that's where he writes the book of the Revelation. And the first thing that we read here is in, in verse number 8 of, of, um, of um, Revelation 1. He says, Jesus appears to him, and he says, I am the Alpha, I'm the Omega, I'm the beginning, I'm the end, says the Lord, who is, who was, and who is to come, the Almighty. And then he, he, he talks about the messages that he gives to seven different churches. And then from there, he talks about this horrible tribulation period that will happen upon this planet. And then from there, he talks about his glorious return and the kingdom that he's going to establish. And at the last chapter, in three different places in Revelation 22, he says this. He says, behold, I am coming quickly. And what does John say? Even so come. Lord Jesus. And as we hear the end of that, of that, of that chapter, um, he says, Amen. Even so come, Lord Jesus. You see, Jesus is 
coming back again. Everything that we hear in the, in the New Testament, as you do a survey through it, and open up your, your, your eyes to this, and you're going to see that, that all of our Christian living is based on the fact that he's coming back again. Dr. Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, uh, makes sure that the angelic announcement is in that passage there in chapter number 1, when he tells them in verse number 8 that they're going to be witnesses throughout the whole world that they know it, um, through the power of the Holy Spirit. And at that time, Jesus um, ascends up into heaven. And as they're standing there with their mouths open, looking at Jesus ascending up into heaven, because he said, I'm going to go to prepare a place for you. Uh, Luke makes sure that, that this is in that passage, because it says in verse number 10, And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, Behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? You know, you know what I, if you've heard me talk about this before, you know, if you stop right there, and, and basically what they're saying is, close your mouths, you're standing there looking at this, you've got work to do. You've got things to do. Don't you remember? He said that you're going to be witnesses. You're going to go out into the whole world and you're going to preach the gospel. You're going to, to teach them in the truth that I gave you. You're going to baptize them and make them disciples. He says you're going to start off in Jerusalem. You're going to go to Judea, Samaria, and you're going to spread to the uttermost part of the earth, even to Bumbry. It's going to go everywhere. And as they're standing there wondering about all of this and what's going to happen there, he says here, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. Let me ask you, how are you supposed to interpret something like that? How are you supposed, what are you supposed to think about that? Jesus says just before he goes to the cross, he says, I go to prepare a place for you and I will come again. Jesus ascends up into heaven and the angels say, this same Jesus who you saw going up into heaven will come in like manner just as you saw him go. How do you think, how would, what would you be thinking if you were standing there that day? And then years later on the island of Patmos, um, um, John gets that vision and Jesus comes back and he says, by the way, I'm coming back again. And this is what's going to happen on this planet. Well, you're going to talk about it, aren't you? You're going to write about it. It's going to be really the, 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 the fundamental belief of the people of God. Because what, he, what we're going to see here is just a few different examples of the New Testament and Jesus Christ, all through the New Testament, this sermon could have been a long sermon because there's so many verses. But I'm just going to give you a few. And I put a few in your, in your bulletin there just to give you a sampling that Jesus was serious. What did he say? I'm coming back again. And this coming back again will certainly involve you and me. Because he wrote to the Colossians, he says, When Christ, who is our life, appears then you also will appear with him in glory. That's to be taken at face value. John points out that this sort of thing is going to bring confidence in our life. In 1 John 2, 28, he says, And now, little children, 
abide in him, that when he appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. Paul certainly loved the coming of Jesus Christ. It became the whole focus of his ministry. And he writes to Timothy and he's encouraging Timothy as he's going to send him out to, to also be a preacher. And he says, finally, he says, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, that righteous judge, will give me on that day. And not to me only, but all those who, look at this, who love, who have loved his appearing. He's inviting you and me to, to love that appearing. Paul reminded Titus to keep this as a focus of his message when he says in Titus 2.13, he says, we're looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And he goes on, he talks about the things that there's to be, be doing in, in preparation for that. And in verse number 15, he says, I want you to speak these things. I want you to keep this before their eyes, exhort them, rebuke them with all authority. Why? Because Jesus is coming back again. When Peter was writing in his first and second epistle, but in his first epistle, his, he's writing to the scattered Jews who are around and they're suffering extreme persecution. And as they're doing this, he's encouraging them. How do you think he's going to encourage them? He says here in, in, ver, in chapter 5, in verse number 4, and when that chief shepherd appears, he says, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. In other words, what he's saying is, that chief shepherd, Jesus Christ, is coming back again when he appears. Let me just share one more thing with you. James urges us to put these things in perspective as we live our life. And he says in James chapter 5, verses 7 and 8, he says, Therefore, be patient, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. In other words, develop endurance in your life with the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he gives us an example. He says, He see how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and the latter rain. You also be patient. And here's how you do it. He says, establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. When the farmer plants the seeds, I'm certainly not a farmer. Um, I don't even plant seeds very well. If we're going to do anything, we buy seedlings. And, and he said, but when you put those seeds in there, you see nothing's going to happen, but he knows it's going to happen. He knows when the rains come, and, and back in those days, they were looking for the rains when they did the uh, planting, and then the latter rains just before the harvest. And if it came perfectly, you're going to get a bumper harvest. And he says, and when you do that, you plant by faith, but you know it's going to come up. And he says, the thing that you need to understand is be, have that sort of endurance about the coming of Jesus Christ. Well, that's going to change things, isn't it? That's going to change the way we do church. That's going to change the way you work, the way you raise your family, the way you, the way you, um, uh, you develop your career choices and the things that you're going to be looking at. You know, I can remember back in the 1970s, 
that my father was a preacher and he would preach on this. And whenever I heard the announcement that they'll be preaching on the second coming of Jesus Christ, I was excited about that because I always knew it was going to be a positive sermon for Christians and it's going to be rather negative for unbelievers, but it was going to be positive. And he would preach that. And I can remember as a kid, he made a statement. He said, I believe that the coming of Christ is at hand. It could happen at any moment. He was teaching a theological thing called the imminent coming of Christ. It's exactly what is taught in the, in the New Testament. Paul believed that the apostles believed that Jesus could come at any time. But he says, if he doesn't come in my lifetime, the way things are looking in this society, and this is back in the 70s, he says, he's certainly going to come in my son's lifetime. And there I was sitting there minding my own business. And I heard that come in my lifetime. What is that supposed to mean? At the age of 18, my father passed away. And I can remember that these verses brought me so much comfort because what happens if you die? What happens if, if, if you've been waiting and waiting for the coming of Christ and he doesn't come? Well, we're reminded of Paul's encouraging letter to the church of the Thessalonians. Some of their church members had died. Paul had taught them that the Lord was going to come back and he could come back at any moment. They're supposed to be faithful. They're supposed to, to teach the truth. They're supposed to go out and be witnesses. And yet people were dying in the church. And they, they were afraid that these people had actually missed out on the second coming. Oh, they weren't afraid that they're going to heaven or anything like that, but, but did they miss this glorious return? After all, our Lord said, I go to prepare a place for you and I will come again to receive you to myself. And now we've had 2,000 years of death and he hasn't come back again. Well, Paul gives us some important details about this coming and he introduces this term of him catching us away and it becomes a lot more um, relevant for us. We become a lot more understanding of what he means. Um, turn in your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and let's look at verses 13 to 18. A tremendous passage that's designed to give you and me comfort. And we know that because verse number 18 says that. He says, therefore comfort one another with these words. So let's see, what kind of words are he, is he talking about here? He says in verse number 13, but I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. You know what he's saying there? He says, I don't want you to be uninformed about those who you love in Christ who have died, so that although you will sorrow, that you don't sorrow without hope. You will have hope. And he gives us a reason for this. Very concrete, not spiritualizing it, very much physical. And here's what he says, verse number 14. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, everyone says, yes, I believe that. Some of them there said, yes, I was around. I saw that. Jesus died on the cross. There were hundreds and hundreds of witnesses who could have put up their hand in that day and said, yes, I saw him rise from the dead. I saw him afterwards. He says, well, if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. 
those who've passed away in Christ, God's going to bring them with him. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord. Now, where is he getting this word of the Lord? I wonder if his mind went back to what the disciples had told him about that day in the upper room when he said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. He said, let me tell you, let me unpack this a little bit for you. He says, for we say this to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. They haven't missed out. He, and, and the fact that he says, we who are alive and remain. In verse number 17, he says, we who are alive and remain. The apostle Paul was waiting for his coming at any time. He wouldn't have been at all shocked if Jesus had come back in his day. And he says here, he says in verse number 16, he says, here's how it's going to happen. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout and with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. It's going to be a very noisy event for believers. There's going to be a shout. You say, what if I miss it? You won't miss it. If you know the Lord, you're, you're, you're not going to miss this. Now, the word will miss it. There'll be a great disappearance. By the way, if you're flying on an airline, make sure that that captain is not saved. <laughs> or that you are. You know, he says here, he says in verse 17, here's what's going to happen. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus shall we always be with the Lord. Comfort one another with these words. That's an amazing thing that he says, isn't it? Because Jesus started out with, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again to receive you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. And the Apostle Paul unpacks it and he tells us how it's going to happen. He says Jesus is going to come back and he's going to come back in the clouds and he's, he's going to catch us up together and the graves will be opened and we'll be all caught up together to meet them in the air. That's an amazing statement, isn't it? And Jesus said, what? I'm coming back again. Well, there's some challenges there. So any of you who understand anything about physics will understand that that's physically impossible for us. I mean, if Jesus came back at this very moment, first of all, we'd hit our heads on the ceiling, wouldn't we? we, 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 we it can't happen. We, we, if we got caught up, get, I get air sick at, at 100 feet, let alone going up into the clouds. And what about the oxygen? What about all that? How's it going to happen? Well, Paul wrote to the Corinthians, and he says, I've got some answers for you. I know what you're thinking. He says, I know. In fact, you read 1 Corinthians chapter number 15, and the whole thing is talking about the resurrection. And there were some that said that you can believe in Jesus but not believe in a resurrection. And Paul says, not true, not true. 
because Jesus rose from the dead, you will rise from the dead. And he rose from the dead bodily, you will rise from the dead bodily. There's no way you can spiritualize that. There's no way you can make that a poetic thing. That is a statement that he makes. And he says, and I know what you, I'm, I'm paraphrasing here. He says, I know what you're thinking. And he says, so you're thinking, how can that be? And so he says, I'm going to explain it. I'll, let, I'll leave that to you to read. But he gets down to the end of that chapter of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And he gives us a clue in verses number 51 to 54. And let me tell you, here's how it's going to, he unpacks it a little bit more for us. He says, behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at that last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. Incorruptible. What does that mean? Well, he says in verse 53, for this corruptible must put on incorruption and this mortal must put on immortality so when this corruptible has put on incorruption and this mortal has put on immortality then shall be brought to pass that saying that is written death is swallowed up in victory right now whenever you go to a funeral it seems like it's 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 not a victory doesn't it it seems like it's it's an ending it's a defeat and he says no 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 he says the the corruptible must put on incorruption when Jesus died and they buried him in the grave, there were many, many tears. But when he came out of that grave, there were many people who said, he's, he, he, this same Jesus, but he's got a different body. This same Jesus has a body that can appear, that can go up, can do all things. We call it a glorified body. And the Apostle Paul says, you and I are going to have that same body. Jesus said, what? I will come again. I will receive you to myself. You say, well, that's an unusual thing. Yes, it is. <laughs> it's a unique thing. That's what makes my Jesus Lord. He's the Lord over sin. He's Lord over death. He's conquered both of them for you and for me. And that's a belief that Christians have always had. He writes to the Philippians and the Apostle Paul says uh, to the church of Philippi and he says in Philippians chapter 3 verses 20 and 21, he says, for our citizenship is in heaven. That's where we belong. He says, from which, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't want you to miss that. Our citizenship is up there. You say, well... I'm kind of at home here. This is, this is where I'm supposed to be. Well, John says, love not the world, neither the things are in the world. If you love the world, the love of the Father is not in you because you weren't designed to stay here. Let me tell you something, folks. A thousand years from now, you're all going to say amen to this. In fact, a hundred years from now, you're all going to say amen to this. For some of you, it may be a few years from now. And when we do your funeral, or you do my funeral, I want you to remember that passage. Comfort one another with these words. You haven't missed out. Death is swallowed up in victory. Because he says here in verse number 21, 
to the Philippian church. He says, who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body. According to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. Oh, he's got big plans for you and me. And those big plans for you and me have to do with our trust and our faith in him. He's going to do it. So you say, well, well, I'll tell you what, will there be any indications about this? Are there, is, there, is there anything I can see on this planet that, that shows that Jesus Christ is coming back again? Well, first of all, he didn't tell us to look for signs. He did tell the disciples, though, in Matthew chapter 24 and in other places. He, he spent a lot of times because the disciples asked the same question. What will be the sign of your coming? Now, my sermon isn't developed around that, but in chapter number 24, he tells us, he says, there's going to be times of trouble. There'll be times of tribulation. There'll be wars. And there'll be, if there's not a war going on, there'll be a rumor of a war going on. Uh, uh, Paul wrote to Timothy, and he says, the times before the coming of Christ will be perilous times, very dangerous times. He says, evil men, imposters will grow worse and worse. They're not just deceived themselves. They go out and deceive others. Jesus said that the judgment would be coming during that time. And during that time uh, um, when, in, in Matthew 24, uh, his second coming, when the judgment comes, the people aren't going to be ready. He says it'll be like the days of Noah. Oh, they'll be getting married and getting unmarried. They'll be, they'll be eating, they'll be drinking, they'll be doing all that, but they won't be doing it to the glory of God. They'll be doing it according to their own lust. And he refers to, to Genesis chapter 6 and verse number 5. You remember the days of Noah? Do you remember what happened there? It says in verse number 5 that the Lord saw the wickedness of mankind and the intentions of their heart were only evil continually he says he says in those latter times he says when you look around you're going to see that people will be doing good things but not for the glory of god they'll be doing things good things with evil intentions that's why the contracts that you and i have to write today have to be pages and pages and pages and pages long with fine print and with this and that because no one trusts anybody anymore when people when people look at the future he said they'll be looking at the future as if there is, there's no end to this. It's always going to get better and better and better. And Peter says that in the last days, there will actually be scoffers. Not just people who don't believe, but people who actually go out of their way to disbelieve. And they'll be walking according to their own lust, he says. And here's what they're going to be saying. Where is the coming of the Lord? Look, everything's been going the same for 2,000 years. Let me tell you how it's been going for 2,000 years. Wars, rumors of wars. There's been one takeover after another takeover. You look at the book of Daniel, and he gives us the whole thing about what's going to happen on this planet. And let me tell you, by the word of God, Jesus could come at any moment. There's not one sign that needs to be, that needs to be taken care of. They've all been there. Either all the signs have been fulfilled or they're being fulfilled. You look what's happening in the Middle East even today in Israel. You look what's going on. You know, Jesus never told us to look for the signs anymore. He didn't tell us to look for the Antichrist. He told us to look for the Christ. 
to keep our eyes up there. Because he says in Matthew 24 and verse 42, he says, watch therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. He gives many illustrations after that. He gives the illustrations of the unjust servants. When the son of the king goes away and he comes back again and the servants, what have you been doing with the talents I gave you? You remember the, the ten virgins with the oil and some of them said, well, we're, gonna, we're not going to do the oil. He says, you can't be sleeping on the job. You got to wake up. He says, he's coming back again. He could come at any time. He could come before this end of this message. So this serves as a real wake-up call for you and me. And that's exactly what Paul told the Romans. He says in Romans chapter 13, after giving them all the things that they're supposed to be doing in, in serving the Lord, and, and, and he tells them that, that the responsibilities toward one another, and they're, they're not, not, to, not to be doing a lot of debt, but he says love one another. He says um, obey those commandments. Get your life in order. He says, don't harm each other, love one another. Why? He says, because in verse number 11, and do this knowing the time, knowing the time that you're living in. He says that now it is high time to wake out of sleep. For now is our salvation nearer than we first believed. You say, well, he hasn't come in 2,000 years. Well, that makes it even nearer, doesn't it? The Bible says that we are living in the last times. And there's, there's, as, you, as you see how God worked with mankind, we are definitely living in those last times, those last days. The Messiah has come. He says he's coming back again. He says our salvation is near than we first believed. Look at verse number 12. He says the night is far spent. The day is at hand. Therefore... Therefore, church, this is what he's saying to us. Let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light and let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry or, or drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Make no provision on the flesh to fulfill its lust. We're to live differently in this planet. We're not to live in fear and in anguish. We're to live with hope. We're to live with our, that glorious appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ. It will have a sanctifying effect upon us. The word sanctify means to be set apart. You and I are people who are set apart. Um, 1 John chapter 3, and I often quote this, this passage because um, as I was saying before, thinking about the Lord coming back again and what that means for us um, is, is a very powerful thing. It wasn't just Paul that talked about it. It wasn't just Peter that talked about it. John talks about it here. And he says in verse number two, beloved, now are we the children of God. And it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. What shall we be? Well, we're going to have a glorified body. We're going to be in Christ. We're going to all these things. It hasn't yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when he is revealed, he's coming back again, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. And here's that sanctifying effect. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself 
even as he is pure. It's a wake-up call for us. In fact, if, if we read, it's, uh, um, this thought just came to my mind. In Second Thessalonians, uh, uh, again, he talks about the day of the Lord. And he says it's going to catch a lot of people unaware because they're living in darkness. He says, you and I aren't like that. We're living in the day. We're living in light. We can see what's happening. So what's our response? Well, we must prepare for it. And there's going to be three things. And this is when you get your pens out and you've got your three little notes here that you can write down. These are your three takeaways for today. Well, first of all, before we get into it, I, I, I tell you, don't look at the signs as your hope. Don't look for the Antichrist. There's so many people doing that. No, live for Jesus Christ. I'll give you a quick illustration about that. Back in 1979, my father started a church in Melbourne back in the 70s. And, um, and in 1979, my wife and I came back and, um, and we were moving to Perth. But we stayed a little while in Melbourne. And I went to visit the church that my father had started. And they had a pastor there who I knew. And this pastor had a different theological um, thought about, about the coming of Christ. He didn't believe in the, the imminent coming of Christ, that Jesus could come at any time to get you. He, he believed in other different things, and he lived in a great fear, this pastor did. And I went into his home. It broke my heart when I saw this because the people became very, very afraid of everything. And I went to visit him in his home. This is before we moved to Perth. And, and in his home, he had all these 44-gallon drums. You know what I mean by a 44-gallon drum? The, the barrels. And I said, what are those? They're in his lounge room, all packed up. And this is the pastor of the church. And he says, oh, they're filled with food. We're taken care of because during these times, we're going to be living in perilous times. We, we have to have food and all this. And, um, and, you know, by that fear that he had. By the way, it's a good idea to keep food. It's a good idea. We, we, we discovered this during COVID. It's a good idea to keep toilet paper. <laughs> Isn't it? Well, my wife and I, we're, we keep, she says, Larry, why do you keep buying coffee? Every time you go, you buy more coffee. You just never know. <laughs> but I looked at that, and I thought to myself, well, what's going to happen when all the food runs out and your neighbor knocks on your door? What are you going to say to him? First of all, he's going to knock down the door. You know, that that church ended up dying. That church ended up folding. Why? Because they didn't have hope. They were living in fear. Nobody's going to be attracted to the gospel because that's just like the world. They live in that way. That was back in 1979. Yeah. He could come at any time. So what's our response? Well, the first thing that we must understand here with our response is that we don't want to be caught off guard, do we? We want to be ready. I'm going to close with Titus. When I say close, it'll be a little while. For a day with the Lord is like a thousand years, you know. Um, but, but no, we'll, we'll bring this to conclusion because this is the most important part of the message. In Titus chapter number two, Paul writing to another young pastor And he says this in verses number 11 to 13. He says, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us 
that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. So how do you prepare? Well, number one, make sure you've personally received the salvation that God has offered you. He says, therefore, the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. He's offering you salvation right this moment. In Jesus Christ, God made possible for all sinners to have their sins forgiven. To enter into an eternal living relationship with him. And that includes you. But you must accept Jesus Christ. You must accept him as your personal savior. You must accept that he died for your sins. And place your trust in his atoning death. And in his resurrection, in other words, you must believe and you must receive. You don't just believe facts, you receive the Savior. Paul said in Romans chapter 10, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You're the whosoever. For the wages of sin is death, Paul said, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. The book of Hebrews says in chapter 9 in verses 27 and 28, And as it is appointed for men to die once, but after this the judgment, so Christ was offered to bear the sins of many. To those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear a second time, apart from sin, for salvation. So how do you prepare for this? Jesus said, I will come again. So how do you and I prepare for it? Make sure you're saved. Receive Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. You're here today, and you said, I hear what you're saying. I see what you're saying here. Let me ask you a question. Are you prepared to believe in what Jesus has said here? Put your faith and your trust in him. And then number two, Christian, listen up. Number two, continue to resist the lure of the world. The world's going to be trying to drag you to conform to their, their reasoning. They're going to be asking you to march for every different thing that comes up. It'll be something different, different next week. It'll be some, they'll be trying to catch your attention and to, to lull you into a place of sleepiness up to the reality that's going around. So keep alert. The world wants you to drift off. It wants you to nod off. It wants you to waste your time in, in foolishness that, that has no accountability for eternity. Not living in uncertainty, but living in hope. Motivated by that glorious appearing. Again, let's look back at Titus. He says here, teaching us in verse 12, that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we must start denying it. We must start living as believers in Jesus Christ. And that brings me to my third, my third point here. When he says, we are to be living like righteous people. So you receive Jesus as your personal savior. You, you resist that, 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 that lure of the world and you live like righteous people because you and I, we're captives set free. We don't fall prey for the ignorance of the world. He said, Let not, don't be ignorant about what's going to be happening on this planet. Here's what, here's what Titus says. I'll begin again in verse number 12. Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, here's what we should do. We should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age. 
Let that be the thing that, that everything that you do in your life, go through those things. Is it soberly? Is it righteous? Is it godly? Why? Because in verse number 13, we're looking for that blessed hope and that glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Why are we looking for him? Because he gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. In light of his coming, we're to be living for him. When Paul wrote about us having a, a different body in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and he talks about how we're going to be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye, he says, so what are we to do about that? He says in the last verse, in verse number 58 of that chapter, he says, therefore, my beloved brethren, here's what you're to do. Be steadfast, be immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Make your, make your conviction solid because we're living in a time of apostasy. Make your convictions solid because we're living in perilous times. But be positive. Be thriving. Don't become complacent. Wake up, he says, out of sleep, for your redemption is drawing nigh because Jesus says, I go, and I prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again, and I will receive you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. Let me encourage you. Live in light of the return of Christ. Let me rephrase that. Live in the light of the return of Jesus Christ. Let's all stand together. Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, you didn't mince your words. You said what you meant, and then you gave us instruction on how we're to be doing this. And Lord, if there's somebody here who's listening to this and they're troubled, Lord, I pray that they will turn to you. They'll receive you as their personal Savior. And Lord, I pray that those people that we work with, those people we go to school with, that everything that we're doing, that we look at them in different light today. And as we go through this next week, as we come into this holiday period, that we will go with the determination that you could come at any moment. And indeed, if you don't come at any moment, you will be coming. And I pray, Lord, that we will live accordingly because we are that witness that you've called us to be. And we thank you for your church, that we haven't forsaken the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is but we're exhorting one another as we see that day approaching. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.